Schön. When I greet all of you in Jesus' name, I'm glad to be with you. I, when Norman asked me if I'd be willing to come, I said what I often do. I said, I'd love to come if God gives me something to say. And then I just kind of waited, and ideas came to me, and uh, I got all excited. So um, I said, yes. <clears throat> Missions is close to my heart, and uh, I thought I was going to live in El Salvador until I retire and then be buried there. Uh, we had a burial plot, and uh, God changed those things, and I'll, I'll tell you about that tomorrow night. But uh, I just want to say thank you for coming here. My intention tonight and these next nights is, is not that you feel... Um, I don't believe in, in guilt tripping. I don't believe in, in uh, more and more things that you add to your list of, your already long list of things to do. I don't think that's the way God works. Um, but I, I want to give you ideas and tools and uh, ideas that will help you to, to know why you're doing what you're doing. And uh, <clears throat> I'm excited about that. I thought I was going to, when I lived in El Salvador, my wife and I knew that we were kind of down there and uh, didn't have that much contact with people up here, um, and that was okay, but, but somehow <clears throat> my sense is now that, that God, that God wanted us to come back to the States and even though we're no longer in El Salvador, maybe it was the right time for us to not be there anymore so that the national church leads out. But for me, it's a privilege to be here and to talk about missions because uh, I would just be so happy if, if uh, there would be people that would be influenced and encouraged to to find their place in the kingdom. I, uh, I just loved what Chris was saying. I'd be delighted if he'd have just kept going. Uh, it's so important that we be, be involved in ministry, either here or there, instead of hoping that God won't call me to, to ministry. <clears throat> so, I'd like to pray with you before we get started. <clears throat> Father, we say thank you for everybody that's here, and we bless your name. We ask that the truths that we share will be truths that will be, give clarity and will inspire us to, to know where we belong in your kingdom. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> One of the ideas that I want to talk about it's, I guess it's not really part of these five that I want to talk about, is that we have been profoundly influenced by the people who have lived before us. And uh, tomorrow night, I'm asking uh, somebody, one of you, to tell the story of how we got to where we're at now. 
My understanding is that Weavertown used to be an Amish church. Was it in the 1920s? You'll, you'll find out. Uh, <clears throat> and people then made decisions that affected all of us, and now we're at a different place. Uh, some of the ideas that I want to share tonight are ideas that um, have profoundly impacted me, and I think they um, were ideas, they're ideas that weren't around 50 years ago, truths that help us to know what we should be doing. <clears throat> I'm sure that some of the things that I will say these next four days, is, uh, these next four times, are things you've heard before. But I'm praying that you will um, hear it in a new way, that God will make it alive, and that you will know how God wants you to, what God wants you to do with that. I don't want to upset anybody, but I don't want to make you comfortable either. So that's where I'm headed. Five important ideas. The first idea is that God blessed Abraham. Genesis 12. Do you remember that story? How did you know I needed a water? Thank you. That's right. I was on the plane and it... Genesis 12, God tells Abraham, it looks to us, when we, when we read the Bible, it looks like God related and was, was, was relating to everybody, but that in Genesis 12, there was a shift, and God said, I'm going to bless you, and I want you to be a blessing to other people. Um, let's look at it. Genesis 12 now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then it goes on. God kind of says the same thing again in Genesis chapter 22. He says, I'm going to bless you and then you're going to be a blessing to other people. And um, the next scripture that I want to look at is, is uh, Psalm 96. I'm not sure who the author was. It doesn't say. But I'm just going to read through this and to help us to see that um, the author of this psalm understood that the good news isn't just for us. It's for all peoples. I'm going to kind of skip through this. I'm reading from the ESV. Um, but I'm going to especially note when it talks about this isn't just for Jews. This isn't just for Israel. This isn't just for a select few people. Our God is not a God who who likes these few people and they're his pets. No, God, our God is a God who blessed Abraham. God talked to Abraham and said, I wanna, I'm going to bless you, but I'm blessing you because of, 
because I want you to reach out to other people. Listen to Psalm 96. Unfortunately, a lot of people didn't get it. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made heavens, made the heavens. Jumping down to verse 7. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. And then uh, verse 9. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established It shall not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. So what am I saying? God's intention was that... Oh, I didn't want you to see that. Uh, God's intention was that uh, he blesses Israel, but because he he wants to be a... use them to bless the world around them. And we just want to tell you a couple stories that will help us to see that they didn't get it right. The first story I want to tell you is Jesus in Nazareth. Uh, Do you remember how Jesus had left Nazareth and he had this uh, ministry and people were hearing about him and the miracles that he did? And then he comes home and they ask him to read a scripture and Jesus planned his trip home so that he'd get to read Isaiah. And uh, so he read the text and he said, today this is fulfilled in your ears. And then he said, you probably are wondering why I'm not doing any miracles here. And then he told these couple stories. Do you remember what they were? Jesus said, do you remember that foreign widow that Elijah went to her house and blessed her and helped her with survive the, 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 that hard time, that famine? But he did it to her. He, he took care of her, that foreign woman, and not all the widows of, of, uh, of Israel. Then he told another story. He said, there was a lot of sick people, a lot of people who had leprosy. But Naaman was healed. The foreigner was healed. And not, and not, uh, not all, all the, the lepers. What did they do? Can you tell me? What did they do? Thank you for showing us that. That's insightful. Thank you. That's helpful. Is that what they said? No. They took, pushing and shoving, they took Jesus out to the brow of Nazareth, and their plan was to throw him over the edge and to kill him. They were protesting violently that Jesus would, would insinuate that God cares about other people. Do you remember what happened when Paul was, uh, had been captured and he's standing on the top steps and they're just ready to take him inside to beat him and he says, please, could, would you give me a chance to talk to these people? I said, okay. So he starts speaking to them in the Hebrew language and, and, uh, and then they listen. And then he tells about his conversion experience and then he tells the story and he gets as far as saying, God says, Paul, I want you to leave here and go back home because these people won't hear you. I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. 
And then what happened? People were horrified. They threw dirt up in the air and they, they were doing everything they could to, to, to stop this, this man. Then there's Peter who uh, is up on the roof and he is um, he's hungry. He gets this vision. And the, the vision is that here's food to eat. And God says, I want you to eat. And he says, whoa, this is not the kind of food that good Jews eat. I can't do that. And God told him a couple of times, what I call clean, I don't want you to treat as unclean. He goes back up, and while he's still trying to figure out what this means, what happens? The Spirit says, there's people at your front door. I want you to go with them. Don't ask any questions. And so he goes with them. I mean, he goes out and talks to them and says, so, so what do you want? And they said, Cornelia sent us. And uh, we don't understand what kind of risks he was taking. But he invited these people into his house. And then the next morning, he took off and went with them off to Caesarea. But he was smart. He took six men with him. And so he goes there, and he's not very, not very much of a, a public, oh, no, not public speaker. He's not very tactful. He says, you folks know that I shouldn't be here with you. That's how he started out. Then he started telling the, telling the gospel story, and then God was gracious. See, God had, Jesus had said, I want you to be the one who opens the door. And, uh, and so he's preaching. He doesn't get very far, and the Holy Spirit falls on these people, and the men look at each other, they say, mm, I don't know what's happening. God is giving them the Holy Spirit just like he did to us. So I guess we need to baptize them. And then chapter 11 talks about how that he got called on the carpet and they said, what were you doing? You went and talked to Gentiles. You were in their home." What were you thinking? And then he tells the story. And the story ends by, and then he says, I didn't know what I was doing, but, but what happened is that I was preaching, and all of a sudden they got the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues just like we did. And what does the text say? The text says, they kind of gasped and said, so maybe Gentiles can be Christians too. The Jews thought that God had chosen them because he liked them. The Jews thought that God had given them these blessings because they were his friends. They were his buddies. He was, uh, they were his pets. And the first big idea is that God blessed the Jews so that they would be people who model and who live life so that they could reach the rest of the world for God. <clears throat> What does it have to do with us at Weavertown? Well, has God blessed us? Yes, he has. He's blessed us. And lest we think that God likes us, we're his buddies, we're his pets, I just want to say that the same thing that was true with, about those Jews is true about us. God has blessed us 
not so that we sit on the blessing, but so that we share it with other people. Blessed so that we can be a blessing to other people. We need to pass it on. May we understand that the money that we have in our pocket and the education that we have and the connections we have, all these things are not just so that we enjoy them, but we have been blessed to be a blessing to other people. The second idea, so the first idea is God has blessed us so that we'll be a blessing. The second idea is that God wants all people to know about him. And he's trusting us to make it happen. God could do it quick, right? Revelation, the book of Revelation talks about an angel with a trumpet or something telling everybody God could do that. But God has chosen to let us be a part of that. And I'm so, so grateful. Uh, I'm going to read a few verses from Matthew, Matthew, the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So that's what God is saying. Not everybody has the same chance. You, all of you, have been in Sunday school since you were old enough to go. Isn't that true? You've had a chance to learn. And uh, God's given us a chance. Yeah, God has blessed us. And he's giving us the opportunity to let other people know. <clears throat> so, Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. The idea that we tend to have is that it's talking about geographically. So, what's, what's Jerusalem? Well, that's my hometown. What's, Samaria, what's uh, Judea? Well, that's... Uh, my county. What's, what's uh, Samaria? Well, that's the rest of my city or the rest of my, uh, my state. And then there's the, the end of the earth. Uh, I think it was kind of hard for the disciples to get the picture. I don't mean to be hard on them. But if you look at it, Acts chapter 8 says there was such a severe persecution that everybody left except the apostles. And I don't know if they felt like they needed to to stay home and uh, keep preaching at the home church. I don't know what it was. But um, we've already seen seen that, uh, that Peter in Acts 10 and 11 was, well, in Samaria too. Peter was in, was in, in Jerusalem and they hear about all the good things that are happening and so they send somebody to check up on it and make sure that everything's okay. And uh, that's the kind of thing that happened. The, 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 the leaders were kind of staying at the main place and, and helping all the people who were wanting to come to the Lord. Um, the, 
But we're pretty sure that somewhere along the line, they begin to understand that we got it wrong. Why do I say that? Because this is uh, page 26 from the book from Jerusalem to Irangina, where it says that the apostles went to all over the place. Somewhere along the line, they got the idea and they said, we're not just supposed to stay at home, we're supposed to go. I was fascinated when I was reading in Martyr's Mirror, maybe you noticed this too. In page 74, it says, talking about Philip, it says, after the distribution of the countries, he taught, and then it says what, where he went. And it says what, where Barnabas went, and where Bartholomew went. And then it says where, uh, where Thomas went. And many other countries had been his porch portion, had been assigned to him. And then it says, Matthew, Ethiopia fell to his lot. So I just say, that's really interesting because uh, they said, we, we're not doing the right thing by just sitting here on a pile. God is calling us to go to other places. And so I, I just find that fascinating that the, the apostles understood and they went. So we've talked about two ideas. We're, we've been blessed to be a blessing to other people, and God wants all people to know, and he's trusting us to tell them. So the third idea is uh, some people who haven't heard the good news yet live close to you. Our tendency is to think that the people who don't know yet are, are way, way out there. And uh, Chris has been talking about this. He said, in Lancaster City, there's people that... He lives close to and is deliberately doing that. One of the, there's reasons why God is bringing people here. Maybe it's through hardship. Maybe it's through uh, persecution. Maybe they're looking for economic opportunities. That's certainly what's happening in El Salvador. When I lived in El Salvador, you couldn't talk to anybody that didn't have a relative or a brother, or a dad, or a sibling, or somebody that, that was in the States, sending money back, uh, just for interest's sake. There's seven million Salvadorans in El Salvador, and there's two or three million in the States and Canada. And that's what's keeping El Salvador afloat, because the gangs are overwhelming business and commerce. But, uh, and so... Bad times. People have come to the States to, to try to get ahead. So God is bringing these people to us. And we have the opportunity of helping them. I don't know if you know about international students. There's about a million international students here in the United States. And uh, how many of you have invited them to your home like on a Thanksgiving or Christmas? Is that something you guys do? Good. I'm so glad. That kind of exposure is good for us, and it helps us to, to keep our, our focus the way it ought to be. I, I'm so glad for that. 52% of the students come from China and from India. Saudi Arabia is number four in where the people come from. Places that have got money are sending their people over here to get training, and uh, those incident are countries that it's really hard for you to get inside of. You couldn't go to Saudi Arabia and say, I want to be a missionary. Please let me in. They wouldn't let you, wouldn't ever let you in. But this is your chance to, 
feed these people, give them friendship, and uh, that's a good thing to do. I asked the ministry training center in, uh, in New York City if they would give me a few slides, and they did. Um, they have chosen a, a part of New York City where most of the, well, I'll just show you the slides. Queens is the most diverse borough of the city. There's estimated 800 languages that are understood there, and immigrants from more than 200 countries make their home there. 71% of the people are foreign-born, and less than 5% are Caucasian. Or, or white. Um, on the streets of their neighborhood, Spanish and Mandarin conversations are more often overheard than English. Uh, and if you look at that picture there, you see the, the English, but I see Spanish down here. I see the chicken tracks of, of the Chinese. There's, it's just, there's so many people there. Um, they said that in the fall of 2018, a long-term uh, orientation participants targeted a Tibetan Buddhist temple, a Thai Buddhist temple, a Muslim people group, and Jewish people, and they were all within easy walking distance. And so God is bringing people to our doors too. And that's the center. You can't imagine how expensive it is. They're developing it. In New York, space is a premium. And so that's what they're doing. There they say their location is right in the middle and 40% uh, Latino, 40% uh, Asian. 153 languages spoken or offering translation in the local hospital. Now I want us to think not just geographically, I want to show you the same chart that we looked at and not, not just think um, not just think geographically, but to think uh, culturally and linguistically. So let's just say that, that uh, Jerusalem is ministering to people like me. Uh, Judea is ministering to people who I can easily relate to, but they're a little bit further away. But then Samaria is not just further away, it's people who how did the Jews and, and, and uh, Samaritans get along? Not very good. So Samaria is another cultural people, maybe learning a language. It's that kind of thing. And then the ends of the earth is going to all the places. And so um, that's another way of understanding it. Do you remember what happened in, was it Acts 12? It says that they went, the, the Jews went to Antioch and they preached only to the Jews, but then a few people made the mistake and, and preached to the, to, to the Greeks. And the Greeks became Christians and they had, they weren't sure what to do with it. And so they sent from, from uh, the head church in, in Jerusalem, they sent Barnabas to check up on things and make sure that things aren't getting out of hand. But the church was growing and flourishing because it was, um, they crossed that border, that, that threshold without knowing what, what was going to happen. Uh, this is William Cameron Townsend. What do you know about him? He's the founder of uh, Wycliffe and uh, 
He said, the greatest missionary is the Bible in the mother tongue. It needs no furlough and is never considered a foreigner. What happened is that he was a missionary to Guatemala, and he, um, he was there in the market selling Bibles. And a man walked up to him and said, with his broken Spanish, said, why, if your God is so smart, hasn't he learned my language? And that made him think. He had thought up until then that the language of, of Guatemala is Spanish. And the people that, I mean, you, if you have a Spanish Bible, it ought to work for everybody. And then he, this man said those words, and he set on a, on a journey of learning to, uh, learning their language. One of the, there's still languages that don't have uh, the Bible in, the, in, their, in their tongue. But he translated the Bible into their tongue. And then he went on to say, well, I'll, I'll stop right there. I've asked someone to, to, to pray a prayer, and I want you all to listen and then tell me how it feels, okay? I understood a few things. Um, help us, appreciate. Um, how did those older ones among you, among us, how did it feel to hear that prayer? You're smiling. Why, why are you smiling? Was it awe-handling? Was it uh, kind of felt good to hear that? Or how did it feel? Should we ask the younger children how, how it felt? He said, what's his name? Uh, Townsend said, uh, Understanding scripture in a language other than the heart language in which we think and experience emotion is like trying to eat soup with a fork. It, uh, you get a little bit of nutrition, but you never get full. That's why we, we say it's important for people to have the gospel, have the, the Bible in their own language and to be able to to enjoy that and to say, uh, this makes sense. This, I get it. That's what he did. So, 
I was, I was hoping that we'd have some children here that would say, I kind of understood it, but it, was, it felt weird. That's not the way I pray. Uh, anyway, we'll keep going. Ralph Winter is another man that may, has had a lot of influence on, on, on uh, evangelical Christianity. It was in 1974 that he was at a missions conference in Europe, and he said, the Bible talks about every nation, every tribe, every people, and up until then, up until 1974, people were thinking about other people, the people that, the task that still, people that still needed to know the gospel, they were thinking about them in geographical countries, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, Mexico, we were thinking like that. And then he said, we're doing something wrong. The Bible talks about every tribe, every nation, every people. And, uh, and so he said, we need to look at people as people groups. People who, who feel like they have a, a, an us and a them. And so... Um, People, when they feel like they're, they're different than others, uh, that's a people group, and it's going to be, work best for someone from their people to, to tell them about the gospel. And so um, that's another idea. <clears throat> so we've talked about God blessed us here at Weavertown, and he wants us to share with, he blessed us so that we can bless other people. And God wants all people to know about him, and he's trusting us to let them know. Here again, he could have done it himself, but there's something that he wants to see happen. And some of the people that need the gospel live close to you. So, number four. Look with me at Galatians 2.9b. Galatians 2.9b. This is the Jerusalem conference. And when they understood that God had opened the door to the, to the, to the Gentiles, this is what it says. And when, I'll, I'll read all the verse. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the, the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the uncircumcised. Only they asked that we remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So, they're saying, Paul and Barnabas, we see God's anointing. We want you to go to the 300 million non-Jews. The rest of us, the thousands of, of us who are Christians now, we're going to reach out to the 3 million Jews. Do you understand what, what's, what's happening? It's, we're going to send you two people, that we think there was about 300 million people at that time. We're going to send you two out to, to evangelize the rest of the world, and the rest of us, we're going to minister to Jews. Look at that chart over there. Full-time mission workers per million people. 
North Korea has one person per million. Afghanistan, two. China, three. Those are just some of the, the most unreached people. So let's just think about it. If the population of Pennsylvania is like 13 million, if we had as many missionaries for, for uh, Pennsylvania as what we do in per, per million in China, which is three, how many missionaries would there be in Pennsylvania? Who can do the math? Thirteen times three is what? Thirty-nine. And if it would be like North Korea, it would be thirteen. Thirteen people. What am I saying? We have been blessed. We have the gospel. But it just makes sense to for the people who have hearts to help other people to not be here on a pile, but to go to where the need is the greatest. Unless you think I'm being critical, I, I need to confess to you that before I went to El Salvador, I said out loud, I said, there's so many needs here in the States, I don't know why I'd want to learn another language when there's so many needs here. I said that. And then I went to, went to Costa Rica and then later El Salvador and I just began to understand that these people need the gospel more than, it's a lot harder for them to, to have the gospel than for, for us. And then later on I began to understand the bigger picture and that there's millions of people in these countries and there's nobody to go to them. And so my, my fourth idea is imbalance, imbalanced sending is a problem. There's millions of people that don't, can't even choose. Um, yeah. The people who study this and are trying to help us get the big picture say, unreached people group is a distinct culture, language, or social class where less than 2% are Christian. And listen to this other group. Unengaged unreached people group. There's at least 218 known groups where there's no known active church planting plan underway. Where there's, there's nobody planning to reach out to them yet, and that's just, that's where we are. This is a slide from the um, Ministry Training Center. About 10% of all cross-cultural foreign missionaries serve the 3 billion unreached. For every 1 million unreached Muslims, there's less than 3 Christian workers on the field. 86% of Muslims, Buddhists, and Hindus do not personally know a Christian. That's really sad. 
You've probably heard about the 1040 window. That's 10 degrees north, latitude. Latitude, I remember I learned in school, is the lines that go flat. 10 degrees north of equator to 40 degrees north. This is Africa, Europe, and Asia. Um, I, I chose this graphic because it shows Islam or, or the Muslim religion, Hindu, Buddha, and non-religious. Um, there's millions of people. I, the the stat, statistics that I'm going to give you in a moment, I want you to compare that with 330 million people living here in the States. So, the first group I want to talk about is Islam. And I'm saying that 25% of the world worship or are, have the Muslim faith. Um, 25%. That means that if there was 10 people, if I would line up 10 people up here to represent uh, all the people of the world, all the people of the world, how many of those would be Muslims? Two and a half. Out of all the people in the world, there are, uh, think about these figures. We, we think there's seven and a half billion people. Uh, the, the number of people living in the States is more like 4% of the world population. Islam is 1,800. 1,857 million people, or 24% of the world population. Um, the prophet Muhammad lived about 1,400 years ago. He believed that an angel gave him a message from God. He asked God to forgive his sins, but he never quite felt sure that God had forgiven him. All of his followers tried to do these five things. Say the phrase, there's no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. They try to pray five times a day. They give alms to the poor people. They fast during the ninth month, where you can't fast for a month. But what they do is, you can eat before the sun rises, and you can eat after the sun sets. Uh, that's what they do. And the fifth thing that you need to do, or you ought to do, uh, is... You ought to go to Mecca. That's the city in Saudi Arabia where, which was kind of like his home base. That's what you're supposed to do. So, major religions. Let's go on with another one. Oh, I need to tell you another story. They think that men are better than women. A boy is worth twice as much as a girl. We don't talk... We don't want to talk about the mistakes that Muhammad made, but the fact that Jesus loves these people, he wants them to know and know the forgiveness. Hinduism, 15% of the whole world. That means if we had 10 people up here in a row, one and a half people would be Muslim. That would be, it would be Hindus. That's 1 million, 1,175 million people. There's, they have thousands of gods. They have castes. You're, you're born into a caste, and that's where, you're, where you stay, either in a, in a very fortunate place or uh, a caste where you have to work hard. They believe in reincarnation. They have sacred cows. 
They try to make a trip to a special river in India where they, if they get into the water, they think they're going to be saved. But they don't know peace and joy like we can have in Jesus. Buddha is not as big, but it's still 7%. It would be almost one person out of 10. Their leader, Gautama, was born 2,500 years ago. He tried to be good by not thinking about anything. His followers called him the enlightened one. But we can't be good of ourselves. We need Jesus to forgive us. About 10% of the people are animistic. That would be one out of 10. If we had 10 people up here, one person would represent uh, people who are animistic or have ethnic religion. 736 million people. It's the idea that that river or that, that um, tree or that rock, there's a spirit there, and we have to be careful to, to please that spirit so that it doesn't get upset at us. They're haunted by these powers. They're afraid of them. They're trying to keep them happy, and they worship their ancestors that have died. Uh, there's one other group that I want to talk about, and that is secular or non-religious. And here I'm thinking about China uh, and other, other countries where they don't, they're trying just as hard as they can to not believe in, in, any, in, any, um, in any God or have religion. So if we have two and a half Muslims, one and a half Hindus, and... Uh, Buddhists and secular people make up two, peop- uh, two, two of these ten, and one animistic, that makes seven. That's a really large part of the, of the population. But I want to tell you about this place. This is the Golden Lampstand Church in China. It had 50,000 members there. As the church was being built on September the 13th, 2009, there was church people church members who were sleeping on the site to make so that nothing would happen. Uh, 400 officials came and beat, beat them and uh, destroyed the building. Many of them were in critical condition. But then they did build it, and that's the picture. But then on January 9, 2018, they checked, chased everybody out and kept them from coming back while they bombed the big church house. Then they used big equipment to finish destroying the whole building. In November 2017, this is now kind of shifting gears, but the leader of the, of the Chinese Communist Party said, you Christians, uh, you're confused if you think that your God can, can help you, can give you what you need. If you're hungry... Ask me, and we'll give you food. He told them you need to take down the pictures of Jesus and the cross and put up pictures of him. I think that's sad. So, the five important ideas. We're blessed in order to be a blessing to others. God wants everybody to know, and he's trusting us to tell them. Some people who haven't heard the good news yet live close to you, and then we've seen that there's lots and lots of people who haven't even had a chance to know about the gospel. And I want to close. I was looking for a picture that would show a, a combine racing the storm. And this is the best that I could do. Jesus says in Matthew 9, 37, 
The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out labors into his harvest. So we're supposed to pray, and God sends the people. When we pray, when we focus on the harvest, God can use us. But what is the idea, what idea, what's the idea behind harvest? Can you, it looks to me like there, there's a gathering storm and like the, well, like we're done. But let's just say that we, those people who, who did the harvesting would have stayed at home and said, oh, I'm kind of tired. We were out late last night. Let's just, let's just take it easy today. What, uh, what would happen? Why can't we just wait until a more convenient time to go and tell people about Jesus? I want you to think about that. There's people that are living, that are alive today, and who are open to the gospel today. Tomorrow they might not be. Things can change. So the harvest can be lost if we wait too long. There's special times of openness. In this case, it would be not wheat lost, but people lost. If you're interested in looking at some of this stuff, here's a website, thejoshuaproject.net, is a place where you could go to and, and learn about peoples that don't have anybody to, to speak to them and to help them. It's a good place to learn. And I'm praying that we will, some of the young children here, some of, us, some of us who are older, that we'll learn to listen to God. And uh, if God says, I want you to prepare, that even if we don't know clearly about what, what we're supposed to do, that if God puts a burden on your heart, that you'll start and trust God to clarify what, what uh, we should do, where to go and what to do. My, my nephew had been in El Salvador, and he thought that he would probably, he felt the call of God to go to, uh, to translate the Bible. And there's, there's Central American, especially in Mexico and Guatemala, there's still people who don't have the gospel in their language. And since he knew Spanish, and since his wife knew Spanish, he thought it just makes sense to go there. He didn't know for sure, but he started to prepare. Um, and as he continued to prepare, he went through the, the schooling, the Summer Institute of Linguistics, uh, the training that it takes to be able to, to translate the, the, the Bible into a language that doesn't yet have the gospel. Um, he was preparing, and little by little, they felt the call of God to go to another place, a, a place that, the country I won't mention, but it's a Muslim country, and they're reaching out to 500,000 people whose primary language is not, there's no, there's no Bible in their language. Um, and I'm guessing that those people, when they hear the gospel, in another language, it sounds a little bit like it sounded when, when uh, Mike was praying. You catch a few words, 
but you don't really get it until it's in your own mother tongue. And so the exciting thing is that he was preparing, even though he wasn't sure where he was going to go, but he was trusting God to help him to know when he got there. And I remember one day we were working together, and he says, I don't know where I'm supposed to go, but uh, I, I just had the clear sense that God was opening doors for him to get to where he was supposed to be because there's people, needy people who wanted to know about the, about the Lord. The people group they're, they're going to is, is a people group that around 1525 converted from whatever they were and became Muslims. What is, what's 1525? That's when our Anabaptist forefathers begin to say, the Bible says this, we've got to do what it says. So that long ago, that people group became Muslim. They're reaching out to them, and God is opening doors. And uh, so, I just wanted to share that with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you've been so good to us, and we're so grateful. We say thank you. We ask that you would help us to have your heart. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I forgot I had this. Tell me what it's all about. This is our, our review. What's the man in the corner? What's, what's that about? It's, it's Abraham, and, it, and it's God says, I'm going to bless you, but I want you to bless other people. Pick out another one. What do you want to tell me about? This one. What's this all about? Okay, and what, what's the idea? A place where a lot of people, the big groups are, and this, this people right here, six out of ten of the people in the whole world live here. And, uh, okay, good. What's, well, we didn't talk about this. I'll save that for, for tomorrow. What's this, this picture about? So, is that what I wanted you to do? You, you remember the story, and you got it. But tell me what, what I was trying to, what I want you to say. Go to the many, many people who don't yet know the Lord. And there's nobody in their, nobody that speaks their language knows anything about Jesus. And that. The soup? What's that story about? Okay. Maybe not soup, but that's not what I wanted you to say. Not, things didn't go very well tonight. Um, someone else want to give it a try? The Bible and the mother tongue is a powerful tool and it gets through to people in ways that the Bible in a language that I kind of get the picture but isn't my heart language. And the one in the corner? Go 
couple of you talked at once. If we wait too long, the harvest can be lost. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Tomorrow night, I want to talk about, uh, continue this. Right now, I'm drawing a blank. I was going to tell you about what I'm going to talk about tomorrow. But you'll have to, have to come tomorrow. Uh, blessings to you. Well, I've been spoken through this evening and encouraged and challenged and I'm uh, looking forward to more. Jordan, I think you have a song prepared and we will stand together. And uh, Dave Kaufman, will you close the meeting with prayer, please? Number 766, far and near the fields are teeming. And on the very last line, there's the word E-R-E, air. Air, the harvest time passed by. That means before the harvest time passes by. Gather the sheaves before the harvest passes. 766, let's sing the first and last verse. <laughs>